welcome to my office hours. I'm your host, Lisa Romig. What's that I hear? What's that coming out of the thicket? Is it a lamb? Is it a lion? It's both. Join me in my three-part series entitled Out of the Thicket, where I'm going to lay down the foundation for both characteristics, the lion and the lamb, found in our King and Savior, Jesus. Welcome to my third and final episode of the series, Out of the Thicket, The Lion and the Lamb. Most of you have probably figured out that when we were talking about, in the first episode, Isaac and Abraham, we know that God provided a male sheep, a ram, in the thicket to be able to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. And then throughout history, we went through and showed religiously how a lamb was sacrificed for the sins, and then, of course, the ultimate sacrifice being that of Jesus. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God because that is what John the Baptist calls him in, um, when he first meets him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. So we have these aspects of Jesus in his first coming that we see that are very representative of the Lamb and being in the thicket or getting caught up in uh, the thicket. However, another animal comes out of the thicket, and that thicket is a lion. We know that when Jesus returns, he will be like a lion. And so most of us are very familiar with the lamb analogy, but we may not understand why Jesus is referred to as the lion. And so over this episode, I'm going to kind of lay the foundation and lay it out for you so that you understand why Jesus is referred to as the lion. So according to scripture, and I'm just going to lay these out for you, a lion is powerful and daring. That comes from Proverbs. It's distinguished by a terrifying roar. That's in Isaiah. It is the sign of Judah. That would be the tribe of Judah in Genesis and Revelation. Daniel refused to stop praying to his God and was cast in as punishment into a den of lions to be devoured. We know that their characteristics are they are noble. They are gately when they walk. And a lion comes out of a thicket or prefers to hide in a thicket and bring its kill to a thicket. And we also know that the lion is the common use of what kings would use as their symbol. I want to start like I did with the lamb going back to Isaac and Abraham in Genesis 22. I want to lay the same foundation for you with Jesus as the lion. And to do that, I have to go back to um, back to what Revelation 5 said, which is, behold, the lion of Judah. Now, if you don't know don't know who Judah is, I want to lay that foundation for you. And so this is found in Genesis 49, 8. So as I mentioned before, we have Abraham, we have Isaac, and then we have Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. His fourth son by his wife Leah is named Judah. And he's named Judah, which literally means praise God. Now in scripture, a lot of people get confused by the term Judah, because not only is it the name of a son, it becomes the name of a tribe, all his descendants, but it's also the name of the southern kingdom, in case you're curious. So we have under King David, a united kingdom of just Israel. And then we have under Solomon, a united kingdom of just Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdoms were split. There is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the southern kingdom being only two tribes, being Judah and Benjamin, but it's known by the name of Judah. And so Jerusalem would encompass uh, that territory, but they're referred to in most scripture as Judah. So again, we're looking at a tribe now, we're looking at the nation of Judah. And so uh, 
I want you to understand Judah is used for many things as well. Judah is where we also get the terminology Jew from, in case you're curious. I'm going to take us now to Genesis 49, verse 8. In this scene, what we see is Jacob declaring a prophecy over each of his sons. As I mentioned before, Jacob's 12 son becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is one of them. His name meaning praise God. This is what he says in chapter 49. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. There's two messianic promises in here, two Messiah promises that I want you to wrap your head around. The first one is that Judah will not cease to exist as a people. Judah will continue on, which is what you see um, in scripture over and over again. The other thing is, is that there also is an appearance of government and that the king's Messiah will return. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So already we see that Judah, from him, the lineage of a king will come, and that this people will not cease to exist. So those are the two common messianic uh, prophecies that are given with this from Genesis 49. Now, we also know that these verses add to the fact that Jesus will govern not only the nation of Israel, but also the nations of the world. And we see that specifically when it says uh, the, the obedience of the peoples. So who is Judah? Judah is a unique character in scripture. And if you have extra time, I highly recommend that you go and find and read a little bit about him. Judah is the one that basically persuaded his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. And he is also the one, whenever he sees, uh, has to go before the ruler, not knowing it's Joseph, declares that uh, he will keep Benjamin, the other son, safe. So we see somewhere between the moment that he sells Joseph and then years later when he presents himself to unknowingly Joseph um, and protects his brother Benjamin, we see a change of heart in him. And I think this is very specific and a very interesting story out of the tribe of Judah, just for your information. Again, you should go and, and see all those things as well in scripture. When we're talking about a lion, though, and again, we know that Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah is symbolized by a lion. Lions are the kings of the jungle because of their raw power and strength. Lions fear no other animals. However, they do have enemies. Specifically, lions have their enemy is a hyena. And I love this because the Lord himself has enemies. So we know that out of the line of Judah, there will become a Masonic or Messiah king. We know that he has an enemy. David wrote about it in Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my hand sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now I'm going to keep reading here. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter. It rules in the midst of your enemies. So I want you to kind of wrap your hand around that idea that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so who are the enemies of God? I'm going to start in 1 Peter 5, 8. We are reminded by Peter to be watchful, to be sober-minded, because our adversary, that would be Satan, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what we see in this scripture is that we see the adversary or Satan having the characteristics and acting like a lion. I want you to understand he's not declared a lion. He has the characteristics of acting like a lion. He's walking around and um, prowling around and roaring like a lion. Now, I want you to keep a pin in that because we know that the adversary is a great imitator. And so the one that he would be imitating would be King Jesus. So again, just keep your mind wrapped around that. We know he is an enemy of God. And the enemies of God in James 4, 4 are declared of those who are friends with the world. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, how does one become an enemy of God? One becomes an enemy of God when we put self and all of our selfish things first before our God and King. The Lord has asked us to put him first. In fact, we see it in the Ten Commandments, which were given to Moses. And then we also see them um, in Luke 10, 25, when Jesus is asked um, what one should do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. These are the two paraphrases of the Ten Commandments. But I want you to understand the first one is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. So that is putting God above yourself, just as we see obedience in uh, Isaac, we see obedience in Abraham, we see obedience in the nation of Israel when they are instituting Passover, and we see obedience in Jesus at the cross. And again, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, not putting self first, putting others first and seeking God and how we can help uh, others in the world. So these are the enemies of God, those that seek the world and what the world can give them, not those that seek God and what God can do for them. So let's talk about the characteristics of King Jesus. King Jesus, the best scripture for this would be found in Isaiah 11. And I'm going to walk you through some of this. Some of it might be a little weird in language, but I think most of it you'll be able to understand. In Isaiah 11, it's prophesied that a shoot will spring forth from the stump of Jesse and the branch from its roots will bear fruit. Real quick, we know from this passage, and remember, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be the lamb being led to the slaughter. He also prophesied what the Messiah would be. The Messiah will spring forth from Jesse, which is King David's father. So it comes from the line of David. Those of you who studied 2 Samuel know that there is a Davidic covenant that is given to David. And in that covenant, the Lord makes a promise that he will always have an heir on the throne. And that one day his heir will have eternal kingdom and the kingdom will be forever and ever. If you study in the lineage of Jesus, you will find out that he is in the lineage of David and he is referencing him. And that is what we start with in Isaiah 11. Moving on, it says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. 
and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear, all talking about facets of what we see in King Jesus to come. But with righteousness and justice, he will judge the poor and decide fairness for the downtrodden of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. This is not the lamb that went to the cross. This is the king to come. So I want you to understand he's prophesying of the second coming in here. And righteousness will be the belt around his loins, and faithfulness the belt around his wave. And then they talk about, in these last few paragraphs, they talk about what that kingdom will look like. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatted steer together, and a little child will lead them. If you ask most people about the kingdom with Jesus, this is what most people will say. I know there's a lion and a lamb, and they lay down together. They're actually misquoting uh, this chapter, Isaiah 11, verse 6, because it says the wolf, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. But the idea is the same. The actual scripture you want when you're quoting the lion and the lamb is Revelation 5, but most people don't know that. So again, little information for yourself. So what does this kingdom look like? And we've just talked a little bit about it. There's going to be righteousness and justice, but do not forget, he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and beneath his lips, he'll slay the wicked. That's a king. That's very much a roaring king. And so we're going to talk about what these kingly things look like and why he's called the lion. So Jesus has a lot of lion qualities. His kingship and his rule will be sovereign. And he desires his role to be acknowledged in a relationship of love, loyalty, spirit, and trust. For Christians, that's us coming to him and accepting him as our Lord and Savior. However, he will come down and he will fight and protect his kingdom. And so we see these uh, characteristics throughout. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jesus and his lion qualities. We see in Isaiah 31, 3, 5, Jesus acting as a lion. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out to go against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hills. He will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Those are the qualities of a lion. He's going to protect his own. And then um, we also see in Joel 3.16, these are my favorite characteristics of Jesus. He's going to roar. This is Old Testament. Jesus has not shown up on the scene yet. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. In Amos 1, 2, he says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures and the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So we know where his kingdom's going to be. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And we know that he is lionly because he's going to be roaring. And then, of course, in Amos 3, 7, it says, The Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy. So we know that the Lord that is coming to be king has lion qualities. We know that he will roar. We also know that he is fearsome. Love this. Um, so in Psalm 22, 28, it says the kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. In Isaiah 45, 23, it says, 
By myself I have sworn, talking about God, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So again, we're seeing the kingdom to come where Jesus will rule and reign. Every knee will bow. They will uh, swear allegiance. And Zephaniah, not a prophet very many people quote, Zephaniah 2.11, it says, The Lord will be fearsome against them, for he will make all the earth's gods waste away. Then on the coast and the islands of the nations, they will worship him each from his place. So you're starting to see an imagery The world as we know it is going to change. We aren't going to have all the different kingdoms and all the different ideas that we have. We're going to have one king. We may be nations, but we will have one king and we will worship him each from their place. So again, wrap your head around what is coming. I love to think about the ferociousness of this king that is coming because not only was he gentle like a lamb being led to slaughter and not open his mouth when he comes back he will roar and people will bow their knee now again nothing for us to be afraid of that we're christian because in this the lord thy god we are his and he gave himself up for us we have nothing to fear from him he stood in place of what we should accept as our wrath he took that on for us but we will serve him with loyalty and he will be sovereign. We see in Jeremiah 42 verse 5, Jeremiah is asked by some folks that he petitioned the Lord. Jeremiah is a prophet. And they say to him, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word which with which the Lord your God sends you to us. So they declared May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. We see in Revelation 19.1, this uh, the scripture before Jeremiah was in the Old Testament, Revelation New Testament. Then John is speaking, I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So again, he is ruling and reigning. He is on a white horse when he comes back. He is faithful and true. He will bear witness of us. So you start to see these characteristics of the lionly king that is coming. Remember, he had the characteristics of the lamb at his first coming, and he saved the world by his sacrifice. But at his second coming, he is coming to rule and reign, and he is the king that the world so desperately needs. Another characteristic that we see of Jesus is one that is presented in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes when we pray now here on earth, a lot of us feel like sometimes our prayers aren't answered. I want you to know that the Lord has declared, vengeance is mine, retribution is mine. And again, this is a lionly king. In Hebrews 10.30, it says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We see him here as the lionly king, the one coming to set things right in his righteousness and justiceness. And of course, when Jesus returns, we, the church, will be without blemish, just as the sacrifice of himself was given without blemish. Again, you see the pattern in scripture. You see it when the lamb is being sacrificed. It is supposed to be without spot or blemish. You see that Jesus had no sin. He was sacrificed for the sins of the world. He was with without sin or without spot or blemish. And when we are presented to him, to Jesus as his bride, we are without spot or blemish. 
It is are these things that we run through scripture that we're seeing, and they all tie together as him being the lamb and also the lion. In the last several episodes, we've seen Jesus presented and laid out the foundation as the lion and also the lamb. And he is both the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain. These lion and lamb descriptions are the two aspect natures of Christ. As a lion of Judah, he fulfills prophecy. And as the Messiah, he comes from the tribe of Judah. As the lamb of God, he was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin. So when Jesus is referred to as the lion and the lamb, we are to see him not only as the conquering king who will slay the enemies of God at his return and bring the world to justice, but also as a sacrificial lamb who took away the reproach of sin from his people so that they may share in his ultimate victory and rule and reign with him. I hope that you have enjoyed learning more about your Savior King, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Remember, your worth and value were given to you at the cross. You were worth dying for, and you're definitely worth fighting for. Join with me next time as we continue to dig deeper into the life we have with King Jesus.